Paul is addressing the church at Thessalonica, for they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So, Father, thank you. You have provided for us. So many are wandering around on this planet serving all kinds of gods. And there's only one God to serve, the living and true God. And so you have a son. His name is Jesus, whom you raised from the dead. We come to preach about him today. So may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Maybe this will awaken the church to the second coming of Jesus. If you're the band Europe, you love a final countdown. It's what you do. So you all better be awake. Amen? So many have heard this message from time to time that you've become lethargic about it. Many in the church have cooled off to the truth. Paul is trying to communicate with the church that he founded at Thessalonica, and he commends them for all that they've done. He said, for from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth. In other words, you just didn't keep this to yourself. Not only in Macedonia, but in Nicaea, but also in every place you have shared the message of the good news. Your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. So there's nothing he had to teach them to help them to get busy about their task and commission. That was to take the gospel to their world. He says, people are talking about you everywhere. And I've, I hear of what you're doing. The testimony has spread. And then he mentions two specific things. You turn from serving idols, worshiping multiple gods. Idol worship of any sort will attract the demonic. You make the devil very happy when you turn from the one living God to any other God you place in your life. Thessalonica was the center of idol worship in its day. There were blood sacrifices open worship of demons. And Paul heard there was a radical change in the people of the church at Thessalonica. They're now serving the one true living God. And secondly, the church at Thessalonica was waiting for the return of God's Son from heaven. They had an eager anticipation for Jesus to come back, the one who had saved them from the wrath that was about to come on the planet. We need to know what we're facing in our own day and in the immediate future. Verse 10, to wait for his son from heaven. They were anticipating Jesus coming back. We should also be anticipating Jesus is coming back. Now, being aware of the signs of the day and the culture of the day, discerning of how and what a day it is. The sons of Issachar, who had understanding of the times, to know what Israel ought to do. God help us to be discerning of the times, understanding of the times, to know what's happening all around us and not pretend it's not. People in churches of America all have differing tastes and opinions. And 
So there's all kinds of issues, ups and downs in churches. Uh, they, some group likes this, some group doesn't like that, they like this instead, and, and all their opinions about what they like and don't like. One thing we better all agree on, we better all come together on, Jesus Christ is going to return. And like the sons of Issachar, understand the day we live in, and let's stop fooling with stuff that doesn't mean much eternally and get busy about the focus of our work. I believe Jesus will rapture the church just prior to the great tribulation breaking out on this planet. It will happen that Jesus raptures the church, followed by the great tribulation, the end of the tribulation, his second physical return to earth. So the next event on God's calendar, the rapture of the church, where suddenly millions will be gone. There are a lot of people who waste a lot of time and energy in writing and speaking about them being, you know, pre-trib. They believe Jesus is coming back before the rap, before uh, the tribulation. There are those who believe he's going to come back in the middle of the great tribulation, three and a half years into a seven-year period. Then there are those post who believe he won't come back until after all the wrath of God has been poured out. Scripture says in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. This is not a Disney fairy tale. This is taught profoundly from the Scripture. Paul addresses it for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. Can't wait to hear that voice. With the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first, and we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. So let me give you some, some specifics this time. Last few serv- services on this topic I've covered the details of how that looks, time-wise, sequential-wise. Today, I want to address our attitude awaiting Jesus' return. What should be our attitude? At the end of those three and a half years of peace on earth during the Great Tribulation, Antichrist will demand the whole world worship him, as Nebuchadnezzar did in time past, that everyone is to bow down before him and honor him. Because in his day, when he rules, there will be one government, there will be one currency. In order to buy or sell, you have to be a part of that system. That system will have come into place because of the great explosiveness that happens in the Middle East with cultures around Israel, some of which are going to be decimated, and such an upheaval economically as a result of that. Antichrist steps onto the stage And he says, I've got a plan for world peace. I've got a plan for an economy that will succeed because the economies of the world have tanked. And everyone will say, absolutely. And he'll say, you must buy into this system or you cannot participate in a level, steady economy or have peace. And so at the end of three and a half years of great economic stability and great peace on the planet, he will then demand the whole world worship him. He will then reveal who he truly is. Now, we have witnessed the weakening of America in the last several years, militarily, morally, ethically, financially, educationally. It's really indisputable. We're watching the weakening and undermining of the stability of our country. Without moral values at our core, we cannot lead in the world as we once did. I love America, but our light is dimming in this hour. 
Many Americans have bought into the idea we don't need to be a superpower. Let's just all get along in the world. Okay? I've watched the deterioration of America right before our eyes. The word reminds us that the kings of the east would rise in the last days. Anybody want to guess who's, who they might be? Or right now, we've got very volatile circumstances in the China Sea. Manifestation in our day. What are we supposed to be doing in these days when these signs indicate that Jesus' return is imminent? What are we supposed to be doing? Waiting. Waiting. And I'll define how that, what that means in just a moment. For instance, if you're married, you're waiting for your wife. Everybody's waiting for something. You go to the doctor's office and you wait. Yeah, it went right over some of their heads. But I saw Pastor Pat's wife got that. You're waiting for the doctor in the waiting room. You wait in the emergency room. That's an oxymoron. Emergency, wait, right? Be at your appointment at 8.30. If you want to see Dr. Wonderful, you show up at 8.30 at 9 a.m., you're still waiting. You've read every magazine in the waiting room. You're afraid to go to the restroom lest you be called and miss your appointment. So, you know, we have to wait at stoplights. Isn't that fun? Some people around here don't do that very well. Um, We wait for our babies to be delivered. Nine months anticipating. By nine months, mamas are usually done waiting. Mama wants this over with. Waddling, uncomfortable, sweet, yeah, feet swollen. Can't wait for the delivery. Calvary Christian Center, our church should be like the one at Thessalonica. That is a church that is turned from serving idols to serving the living God. And they're waiting for the Son of God to return. Many have lost focus of the importance of our posture concerning the return of Jesus. In our culture today, it's all about the here and now. The focus, Jesus could return today, has been diluted. Is that on your radar? That this could be the day the trumpet sounds? Then I need to live right. I could face Jesus for the day is over. See, it was in their reputation. That needs to be in our reputation. No longer serving idols, but now we're looking for the return of Jesus. Wow. And what, what idol worship is going on in America? You know, we don't have statues we bow down to, do we? Well, no, not necessarily. But the God of self is being worshipped greatly in America. The worship of, at the altar of materialism, more stuff, more stuff, and you haven't even paid for the stuff you already got, but you've got to have more, right? And when you can't pay for what you're buying because you're running into debt and you keep piling it up and you keep adding to that debt, buying more, that's a form of idol worship. You, you are bowing your knee at materialism. People worship at the altar of their pride and ego. Millions of men and now many women spend 60 to 80 hours a week trying to climb the corporate ladder to make some great success. I have a cousin who's done very well in business, and he's had some setbacks with his mobility due to some faulty pieces that were placed in his hip. That broke down and now had been recalled and damaged his femur. He said, you know, I've done really well. I planned for great success in my life. 
Um, I've got the money to go enjoy myself, and I can't go anywhere. Yeah. So climbing the ladders. Here's how King Solomon put it. For a man may do his work with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and then he must leave all he owns to someone who has not worked for it. This, too, is meaningless and a great misfortune. What does a man get for all the toil and anxious striving with which he labors under the sun? All his days, his work, his pain and grief, even at night his mind does not rest. This, too, is meaningless. Ecclesiastes 2, 21. Then others idolize other humans. They're fans of, and they go bow in their cathedrals to worship them and honor them and scream and holler for them in spite of the lifestyles they live. And you go, really? This is not somebody you want to clap and applaud for. And then most destructively, we worship at the altar of self-fulfillment, self to the exclusion of others, self-indulgence, which turns into use of alcohol and substance abuse, sometimes abuse of food that we eat because all we think about is ourselves. And the next thing you know, it comes right out of the three lusts in First John. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father but of the world. And many Christians have been captured and caught up in this kind of behavior because they've gotten their focus off of the return, the soon return of Jesus. Here's how Paul put it to the Roman church. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. Even creation is in a posture of waiting. All God's creation, the trees, the animals, the whole planet, is eagerly awaiting the return of Jesus and the lifting of the curse of sin, the manifestation of the children of God in glorified bodies. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. When God created the world, he placed hope into every fiber of his creation. It is waiting for God to lift the curse off of it. As beautiful as our sunsets are, as beautiful as your garden looks, beauty, but in God's eyes less than his perfection because of sin's curse, far short of what his anticipation for earth is. Earth labors under the curse of man's sin. Rabbinical teachers teach that when Messiah returns, even the dirt is going to glow. Sunsets that we think spectacular, nothing compared to what's just ahead when the curse is lifted. Perfection, once again, no more weeds when the curse has lifted. In fact, all of the animal kingdom will give glory to the Lord. Every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, the great mammals and the, the swimmers of the deep, I heard them say, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. The animal kingdom itself, everything on earth will give thanks to the Lord. So in Romans 8, here's how it reads. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. So not only humans, but all of his creation, 
from death and decay, for we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Under the curse, storms, earthquakes, freezing temperatures, overbearing heat, drought. The earth itself says, Jesus, return. Don't know if your church is as excited as we are, but we want the Lord to come back, says creation. All creation awaits his return. For we believers also groan. So comparatively to the earth, we also groan. Even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. So this is not just some passing idea, occasionally addressed periodically in our teaching. It's supposed to be our focus. What do we do while we're waiting for the return of Jesus? We live eagerly in anticipation that he may come back today. What does that look like? Well, then we know to share the gospel with people God brings before us. We take the gospel to the ends of the earth. We make sure that those few left unreached tribes hear the message of Jesus, receive the word of God. So from every tribe and every kindred and every tongue, someone is assembled around the throne of the Lord. We make sure that we live right. We mature spiritually. We serve Jesus' church. We joyfully pay our tithes. This is lived out daily because we eagerly anticipate Jesus' return. We're busy doing what matters to him. And he's first. Not down to our, somewhere on our to-do list. We're kingdom-oriented, never fully satisfied in this world because we are citizens of heaven. And to the church assembly of the firstborn believers who are registered as citizens, where? In heaven. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. So not just waiting, eagerly waiting. There should be an eager anticipation lived out doing his will on earth. And when we're putting him first, then we eagerly wait to say one day, goodbye world, goodbye. There should never be a day passed without asking. Jesus could return today. I need to live right. I need to act right. All the deals I make today should be right. I need to tell somebody that Jesus loves them. I need to serve Jesus to the best of my ability. I love America. I'm patriotic. I serve our military. But I have two residents I'm registered in. This is my second residence, Earth, my part-time home. For our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our primary citizenship is in heaven, somewhere past the North Star. Some are eagerly awaiting today the next football game, their next business deal, their next date. Excitement about some of those? Sure. But I'm eagerly awaiting for the manifestation of the kingdom of God. That has my highest eagerness. Some have eagerly pursued some things that frankly won't matter in his kingdom. They'll be gone. 
They won't be a part of. I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God. It's a literal place. Are you eagerly awaiting that? Because earth is not our primary residence. This is temporal. It won't last. And there's only one gate to get into heaven, one road to heaven. It's a narrow road, one door to heaven. And the name of that door is Jesus. Oprah's not going to get you there. She believes in multiple roads. And there's only one road that's going to get you there. Katy Perry is not going to get you there. She's walked away from the one road. She knew only Jesus will get you to heaven. And the heavenly city has dimensions, and it has streets, and it has homes. In heaven, there is no sickness. Everybody here has suffered some sickness. You get something finally the way it ought to be, and something else goes wrong. You finally get glasses, and your eyes are working the right way, and your throat starts hurting. Something's always going wrong. never ends. You work out, and you stand in front of some of the mirrors over at NSF, and you're proud of yourself, and you're looking at yourself, and you're making noises none of us really want to hear, (laughs) and half your teeth are decaying. Your body is ripped, and your hair's falling out. That's really cool. And, And your skin is sagging, and it's heading for the dirt from which it came. In heaven, there is no sickness. You ought to eagerly anticipate that. And in heaven, there are no limitations. Now, here you get to go work out, right? You keep active. You keep moving. Some days you're not as motivated. You're tired. You're sore. Can't get there. Alarm goes off. You shut it off. One day, there'll be no limitations on these bodies. Amen? No limitations. In heaven, there is no death. We ought to eagerly await that. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Amen. In heaven, there will be no more sorrow. How much sorrow have you endured? The first thing that happens when you make your appearance into this world, you get whacked, and then you start crying. It's great. Welcome. Bam. You leave the security and the safety of that great mommy, and you arrive, and you start crying. Then you get a little older, and you start to walk, and you fall down, and you hurt your knees, and you cry again. Then after the great security of your home, as you're growing, your mother takes you to a strange place called school and drops you off and says, bye, and you stand there crying. And then in elementary school, the crush of your elementary life drops you for somebody else, and there's more sorrow. Then you get older, and your father or mother gets ill and dies, and you stand there and you cry. You raise children, and they bring you great joys, but there are times when they're heavy on your heart, and you cry. Life is good. We're thankful for it, but also comes with it seasons of sorrow. And the word says there, no more sorrow. I am eagerly anticipating that the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing with everlasting joy upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness. Sorrow and sighing shall flee away. That's what I eagerly await. 
There's never a drag on your soul again. In heaven, there is no more temptation. In this culture, we're all tempted times to do something that displeases the Lord. If it's not the flesh, it's your tongue. If it's not your tongue, it's your thought life. Or it's your eye gate. Or your attitude. Or something you won't do that you know you should do. You know why there won't be any temptation ever in heaven? There won't be any earthly flesh there. We will all have glorified bodies. There won't be any devil. I eagerly await that. You will never feel the urge to take another hit. There'll never be an urge to consume alcohol. There'll never be an urge to do something that displeases the Lord. It won't be present. That battle will be over. Do you eagerly await that? So assuredly, I say to you, among those born of woman or women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. Imagine Jesus saying that about you. Of all those born of women, there's never been one greater than John. But he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Oh, greater than the greatest man who ever lived. And if you could be the greatest that has ever lived, fame and fortune and glory and maybe the presidency of the United States that people will beg, borrow, or steal to get there. Fame, power, glory, Air Force One. Wow. You get all the glory that the world has to offer. Jesus says, if you're the least in my kingdom, if you have served, if you took that towel, not a title, and served me, no big splash, no platform time necessarily, but you were faithful, and you served me faithfully. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, Jesus said. So what you will have in his kingdom, the glory that's conferred, the honor, the praise for your faithful service, the accolades that Jesus will give you for the least in his kingdom is a million times greater than the man with all the world can offer. That's mind-boggling that the person who has served him just humbly done the job and been faithful is greater in his kingdom than the greatest. Perhaps you were abandoned in life, abused, or you struggled, you had little income, you drove to church with little fuel in your car. Life never promoted you. There was struggle after struggle. Then Jesus came, and he adopted you into his family. He made you an heir and an equal heir with him. Hope was birthed in you. You served him in his church eagerly, faithfully, loyally. I can't ever get over that, that he would pick up a kid like me and ask him to serve him and ask that kid to just be honored enough to carry his cross for him. You submitted yourself to be coached and mentored and taught, and you learned Listen, to Jesus, this means greatness. There's coming a day when those who have been the least in his kingdom, and we cannot even imagine it in our wildest dreams. We don't have the vocabulary for it. Our eyes have never seen it. Our ears have never heard it. It's never even entered our thought life. Indescribable glory. Those who have been the least in his kingdom will have the fullness of joy in his presence. Here we only know partial joy, even at its best. But in his presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. 
So watch the correlation. Serving faithfully equals great reward when Jesus returns. Wow. Faithful service equals great reward when Jesus returns. We should eagerly anticipate the return of Jesus by serving him faithfully in obedience. He might come back today. And I walked away from a responsibility because I didn't feel like doing it. We get so self-centered, so carnal, so petty, so assertive of our rights, demanding our way, that American culture now has its own trinity, me, myself, and I. We get so wrapped up in cars and houses and deals and trips and sports. Listen to me. It ain't going to matter in the kingdom. None of it. Technology. And you get all wired about stuff. Listen to me. It doesn't matter in his kingdom. Did you serve him faithfully? Did you honor him first? Did you keep him first? It's time for his church, the bride of Christ, to once again live like and eagerly anticipate the return of God's Son. And God forgive us for our temporal thinking. Yeah, we have to pay attention to our responsibilities. But we have allowed those to consume us. They have taken first place. And he said, I'm jealous. And there's only so long he'll be jealous before he will let you know how jealous he is. Is your greatest joy in your promotion or is your greatest joy anticipating his return and doing what he asks until he returns? What matters? What matters is his great commandment to love him with all of our heart, mind, and strength, to love one another as we love ourselves. His great commission to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And while other fellowships are withdrawing our missionaries, We're doing everything we can to continue to add and multiply the work of our missionaries. In light of the fact that we have this great commission and great commandment, the return of Jesus looms all the time in our day. Before Jesus left, he called together ten of his servants and divided among them ten pounds of silver and said, Invest this for me while I'm gone. I'm coming back. I'm going to have an account. Okay, Or in another translation, occupy until I come. Be busy. Do business for me until I return. That's what Jesus told these. So the greatest thing about heaven is seeing my family. Yeah, that's going to be great. No doubt more wonderful than you ever imagined. To have a grand and fantastic reunion with your loved ones, some of which who have lived full lives and gone on to be with the Lord and others who left us prematurely, and our hearts are grieving. But the greatest thing about heaven is we're going to get to see Jesus, the one who died for us. And thank God if you've been blessed to have your name written in the Lamb's book of life. Listen to me, people. We are not in the land of the living going to the land of the dying. We are in the land of the dying going to the land of the living. That's where we're going. So stand together and give praise to God, everybody. Take a moment.